0: You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome everyone. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. And today I'd like to start out again, as I usually do, referring you to wealthformula.com where you can get all sorts of resources not available on this podcast. All sorts of downloads, including my free book, Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth, which you could get an Amazon. You could pay me for it, or you could get a free copy downloaded from the site. Uh, you can also simply text me four four two 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 and text wealth formula one word. That's four four two 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 wealth formula. Now, starting with today, first of all, I have to apologize. I'm a little under the weather. For some of you know, I have been uh, evacuated from Montecito, uh, our home because of these mudslides. And so we've been living in this hotel and, um, the hotel has been nice, but it was a few weeks and we got a couple of rooms and a bunch of little kids. So we kind of had to split it up, my wife and me. And so I, you know, I slept with the, uh, the two older ones, the eight and the five-year-old, my sister, my, uh, my wife, uh, slept with the baby, the two-year-old who was the hellion, who is the hellion. And, um, Anyway, one uh, one of us got sick and then the next, you know, everybody got sick except my wife because she's uh, she's always got the best immune system in the family. So anyway, I'm that is all to say that if you hear me clearing my throat a lot and stuff, Phil's going to try to get rid of it, but I apologize in advance. So, you know, for this show, I want to talk a little bit about the idea of Opportunity. You know, there is this word in Chinese uh, that goes uh, that that is for crisis that also uh, the same uh, the same word for opportunity as well. And I think that is somewhat uh, telling because I know from personal experience that my entrepreneurial career was launched because of a crisis, because of something to be afraid of. Anyway, it was 2009. And I had my first job out of training at a company that uh, was called Lifestyle Lift. It's a business that is no longer around. But you may recall these late night infomercials that showed these miraculous rejuvenation, uh, aging faces, right? You'd have these huge turkey necks and then the next picture you would show like it was gone. Anyway, as it turns out, Lifestyle Lift was basically a facelift meal. That's what they didn't want to tell you on those commercials. And young surgeons like me at the time would would sign up and do you know we would get all this volume get like three or four facelifts uh, per day straight out of training and um, that is by the way unheard of right if you typically would you know do three or four a month if you were even a relatively normal plastic surgeon in practice I mean it's just not it's crazy to have that much volume anyway lucky for patients i was actually um a very good surgeon and my results were as good as anyone in that whole organization which was huge it covered most states and um, and hundreds literally hundreds of doctors it was my first experience being a non-resident physician and the money was more than anything i could have made on my own at that point i made Uh, in that first year out of training, uh, just around a half million dollars. And at first, you know, this whole new world of making money, uh, this whole new idea of being able to make more money because I was working harder was novel to me. And it was exciting. I couldn't, you know, I just wanted to work more and more because I was making a lot of money. Because understand that as a surgical, you know, resident, I made uh about in my chief year I made about uh chief year meaning final year I made about $50,000 um in training and it didn't matter how much I worked no one really cared about that $50,000 that was my final year I started out at 35,000 years before that so 50,000 in San Francisco it doesn't go far anyway after a while I realized you know, the initial like excitement of all that new money that, you know, was 10xing what I did before, you know, it kind of started to wear off and because I started to realize that there was this guy above me, <clears throat> namely the guy who owned the entire organization that was making a lot more money than me. And in the process, you know, his fingers didn't hurt at the end of the day from operating all day. So I wouldn't call it jealousy. I think I was actually pretty enamored with this concept that this guy had created. And I didn't want to be a worker bee anymore. I started looking, thinking, gosh, I the guy at the top has got it good. And having recently read uh, Robert Kiyosaki's Cash Flow Quadrant, you know, that was also part of it too. I started to uh, plot my own business. And you know, when I say plot, you know, in reality, I had really nothing going. I mean, how many people, by the way, just as an example of what I'm getting at, do you know that talk, you know, they talk big about what they're going to do all the time and all these things that they've got going on, but they never actually seem to do it. And they don't even actually seem to try. They never pull the trigger. That could have been me. I mean, that honestly could have been me. However, my big mouth and uh, uh, my inability to keep my thoughts to myself got the best of me. And um, I talked to the wrong people in the organization who relayed to the management that um, I was plotting, which I wasn't, by the way, a rival business to Lifestyle Lift, which seemed uh, which seemed frankly kind of ridiculous uh, that they would even think that that was something I could do. I mean, I was just like a silly little, uh, you know, first year out of residency guy. I mean, how am I going to do a plot, that kind of thing? Anyway, they took it seriously. Anyway, management at that point was not happy with me. They already had concerns about this rocky relationship that I had uh, developed with the office manager. You know, it's because my ego, right? I mean, they hired this office manager from a nearby hair salon. You know, she was managing a bunch of people cutting hair. And I wasn't really keen on the idea. You know, again, I had a huge ego. So I'm sitting there thinking, frankly, this moron is going to be my boss, right? No, no. Anyway, it's not nice to say say that or think that. But I'm telling you the truth. She was there and she was doing what she thought she was supposed to do. I mean, she would literally make me clock in and clock out for heaven's sake. I'd never done that in my whole life. And, well, except for maybe a candy store I worked in as a kid. Anyway, despite being one of the highest volume surgeons that Lifestyle Lift had, despite having virtually zero complication rates, uh, when they had a lot of complications there too, by the way, patient satisfaction ratios of mine were just off the charts. Despite all these great indicators, they fired me. And when they fired me, I was shocked. Um, Because, you know what, I'd never been fired before. and and, And in that regard, I'd never really failed before right? And getting fired is a kind of failure. Anyway, I spent the next few days at that point uh, frantically figuring out what to do. Uh, at this point in my life, yeah, I think I was like 35. I had a newborn. Uh, we just moved to Chicago. My wife and me, we'd just been married for about a year. And I had, you know, I had some money saved up, but not enough to last that long. I had a choice at that point. You know, I could get another job and probably at that point, you know, the the types of jobs that were in the real world out, outside of Lifestyle Lift, I would have made probably, I don't know, maybe $300,000 per year working for another organization. And don't get me wrong, that's not bad money. The problem was that the more and more I thought of that, the more I realized that I was getting this sickening feeling that the problem with Lifestyle Lift was not necessarily all their fault. That took me a long time to admit Sure, I could vilify them, and you know what? They were kind of an evil organization, and they're out of business, so I can say that, so hopefully no one will try to sue me, but there's no doubt about that. It was shady. Um, there was a lot of good surgeons and a lot of good outcomes, but there was a lot of shady stuff too. But, you know, on the other hand, most corporate organizations, whenever I hear people working for large corporate organizations, they all kind of seem a little bit evil, right? I mean, at least from the perspective of the employees, uh, you know, I don't think we're, we're not evil. Are we Phil? No, we're not evil, but we're not a big, you know, huge organization. And I'm kind of a uh, sucker for people who, um, who work for me and, uh, and I want to take care of them. So anyway, the bigger issue I had to contend with for the first time was realizing uh, really for the first time in my life that I had what I will call here the entrepreneur's curse. What is the entrepreneur's curse? Well, one of the uh, one uh, this is this is true, and I know this that a lot of entrepreneurs share this. We are entrepreneurs in part because we are not employable, right? If you're an entrepreneur out there, you know what I'm talking about, right? Because once you, uh, especially once you start be you know start having that experience as an entrepreneur. You can't go back. You can't work for somebody else. Well, I think I just had too big of an ego to work for anyone else ever really. And even as a resident, I don't think I did well with that hierarchy system at all. I know I didn't. In fact, I think I've talked about that before in my weekly wealth widgets. Anyway, I'm quite sure at this point, that had I taken another job that, uh, that really somehow a similar uh, scenario would have emerged, and somehow I would have found myself in the middle of another conflict uh, with the man, so to speak. And I probably would have end, ended up, you know, either getting fired or resigning or whatever. I mean, that's just what would have happened. And a lot of it, frankly, would have been my fault. I'm not built to work for someone. So at this point, realizing that I only had one option, I had to start my own business. Now that was a journey uh, itself. And um, I won't describe the whole thing here because I've already been talking for a while. But suffice it to say that at one point I was down to my last $2,000 in the bank because I was, you know, I had to spend a bunch for the startup, right? I mean, I only had one year and I made some decent money, but it is expensive to start a business. I had like down to $2,000 in my bank account and I never told my wife because I didn't want her to get scared about it. But ultimately... Here's the good news. That crisis of getting fired, of feeling the pain of almost running out of money, turned into my first multi-million dollar business. You know what? Sometimes it takes a swift kick in the butt and I guess a free fall to get you to act on something that you were really meant to do. And unfortunately, it doesn't happen enough because we live in in a world with with too many safety nets, we live in uh, we live in a very sort of artificial, manicured world. Paradoxically, that can limit us because crisis equals opportunity, and without a crisis like getting fired, it's hard to walk away from the warm comfort of the golden handcuffs, which I know you may very well have on yourself. Now, my guest today had a crisis of her own a few years back. It was a life and death matter that made her realize that she had to make a change. But in the process, the result ended up becoming an incredible multi-million dollar real estate organization. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk to Kathy Fetke of the Real Wealth Network. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Kathy Fetke. Now, Kathy is uh, known and is a very passionate person when it comes to helping people acquire cash-flowing real estate uh, so they can enjoy what she calls real wealth. Uh, she is a regular guest, expert on Fox News, CNN, CNBC, Bloomberg, NPR, CBS, Market Watch, and The Wall Street Journal and has been named one of the 100 Most Intriguing Entrepreneurs by Goldman Sachs two years in a row. That's impressive. She is the host of The Real Wealth Show, a featured podcast on iTunes with uh, listeners in over 27 countries, and she's also the author of Retire Rich with Rentals. Kathy, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast. Thanks for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So. We'll get back to the Goldman Sachs thing in a second, but tell tell me a little bit, <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself. I know a lot of my listeners actually do already listen to your show, but, um, you know, for those of us who are less familiar, tell us a little bit about you and how you get started in real estate, because I remember hearing your st- story on the, uh, on the Summit, and it was uh, pretty fascinating. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's... Um... Kind of all by accident, but uh, also divine. (laughs) So um, back in 2003, my husband had uh, found out he had a freckle that looked different than the many other freckles he has. He's a redhead. So how this one stood out, I have no idea. But he had a sense and went in to have it checked, and it turned out it was melanoma. Mm -hmm. And then they found more. Uh, He, again, was a redhead, but a bodybuilder when he was younger, and he used to just fry himself for those shows um, and try to pretend he, he could tan. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> uh, so anyway, the, the doctor, uh, some more tests thought it had spread and, um, and they told her that it looked like it spread to his liver. And if it did, then he would have six months to live. Oh, boy. And I was a stay home, you know, I was a stay at home mom at the time with two young kids. We just bought a big house, way too big for us. Um, but you know, we didn't expect this, medical situation and so uh I just needed to take over the finances I needed to make things work and so I had a radio show at the time in San Francisco on KDW, and I just changed the topic from whatever I felt like talking about usually news related to okay how do you make money and how do you make passive income because I wanted to stay home with the children but I also needed to make money. Yeah. And it just, I just, yeah, interviewed people, interviewed people and found out that real estate was a great way.
0: So interesting. So in a way you were using your own show to leverage what other people knew and sort of teach yourself at the same time, right?
1: It was a hundred percent for selfish reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Hey, I've got a platform. People will talk to me. I could get people like Kiyosaki to come and give me an hour of his time. because yeah. like, you know, I have this radio show, and I and I would say, what, "What are you doing? And where are you investing? And how can the average person do it?" Meaning me. And uh, and I, you know, in 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 the process of pursuing something of interest to me, I grew quite a following because it turns out I'm not the only one who wanted to learn it.
0: <laughs> right, and I find that's you know generally the best you know the best way is when you have a, a genuine passion for something and trying to learn. And you know, I always think of my mm-hmm. podcast is I learn and. You know I learn with everybody else and I teach what i learn and and sometimes we learn together uh and uh I think that generally gets people more engaged because then you get sort of this you know people of the same mindset um so what did you discover Absolutely. along this way so you you got all this information we had Robert kiyosaki on the show last a uh, few weeks ago you know mm-hmm. guys like this what did they tell you what resonated and where did you you know how did you apply it
1: well what what he said loud and clear was. Uh, you you know, you know, he's pretty bold when he talks, and yeah. he's like you're an idiot if you're going to keep your property in California because it was, you know, 2004, 2005. He could see the writing on the wall that apparently nobody else could, um, but uh, at the time I had become a mortgage broker because our phones were ringing off the hook with people who wanted to buy property and yeah, and uh, and, and wanted loans, so that I, I t- did turn it into a business. And um, and I could see that I could literally give anybody a loan, whether they qualified or not. And I remember thinking, that doesn't make sense. And I'd ask my husband, does that make sense? He said, no, no, it really actually sounds like fraud. And don't do it. And so, you know, and I asked Robert Kiyosaki, you know, what what do you think? And he said, I think it's uh, fraud. And, yeah, you know, there's going to be a, a price to pay for giving away debt that nobody can afford to pay back.
2: Right. And
1: um, But he said, but, so if you sell at the peak right now, you can buy in a place where it does make sense and at the time it was Texas he was he was buying a lot of property in Texas back in the mid 2000s and we thought well if he's going to do that so will we so we bought about 14 properties and got to experience the wonderful thing called cash flow yeah and um that's how we got started so
0: so how'd you do that Kathy I mean obviously you're you know, at this point, you have a, a business that does some turnkey, that sort of thing. What? How did you living in California? And I and I understand you still do. How did you buy fourteen? Was it single family homes or whatever it did? How did you do that initially?
1: I, I took advantage of free money at the time. I right. mean, it was just ridiculous. Like I said, I I had become a mortgage broker. I had a sponsor on the show. Uh, that helped pay for the show and he was a mortgage broker and he said, Oh my gosh, this worked. Our phones are very off the hook. You need to go get your license and take all these all these uh, mortgages sure. and um and, and they were I mean I made a lot of money. I think sure. I made on my first deal it was a million dollar loan. I made ten thousand dollars in a day and so part of part of the way we financed it was that I was suddenly making a lot of money. Yeah. And um but also I knew how to to use the banks and at the time you could you could buy an investment property with no money now, not just a yeah. primary. So we and there was no limit. So we were like, "Why wouldn't you?" You know, it's cash flows. You put no money down. Yeah, I'm doing this, and so we just did as many as I would. I would write them up myself. You know? Yeah, I, I mean the that's the
0: system. that's sort of the ironic part of that time, right? I mean, and I I was a broke yeah. resident, so I had no money, so I had nothing to lose anyway, so I never bought anything. But the <laughs> experience uh, to look look back at what happened, I think some people who timed it right really came out ahead because you know, after that credit really tightened up and it became really hard for people to start. But I think what I was getting at was you live in California, you have 14 properties in Texas. Well, now, you know, with a lot of uh, uh, some turnkey rental companies, you can do that. Was that what you were using back then or were you just finding property managers or how were you doing that?
1: But it didn't exist. I mean, we we kind of created the industry that didn't exist at the time. Um What, what happened is, again, I, I got a tip from from kiyosaki saying that's what he was doing so i flew out to texas and i met with real estate agents and most of them didn't know what they were talking about they were showing me four hundred thousand dollar properties because they saw california uh, money on my forehead yeah, and thought yeah. well, she's dumb mm. all the seller she'll think four hundred thousand dollars is a deal but i you know was smarter than that because i had a radio show and i interviewed people so yeah as a, you know, i finally found i would interview a property manager i go to each office and and just I just set it up for myself. Again, it was just for me. I, I had to put the team together. So I found the right agent. I found the right neighborhood. I found the right property manager and the insurance, all of it. And then I talked about it on the show. And once again, our phone <laughs> blew up with people saying we want that too. Yeah. And then I, I just asked, you know, how do I do that? And I realized, well, I can do the loans, but I can also receive referral fees from the agent. So we, we kind of set up the turnkey model back in early 2000s before
0: it was a thing. Yeah, yeah. Let's and I want to talk about that in a second. But one of the things that I think that um, you often uh, get invited on shows uh, for and uh, do talks about is real estate cycles. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on what's going on now because, you know, I am an investor primarily in multi-family residential, primarily apartment building apartment buildings, and and what I'm finding is uh, probably what a lot of people are finding is that it's pretty tight out there right i mean we're we're in a we're in a market cycle right now in at least the most the major markets uh, out there where it's it's really tight there's not a lot of cash flow cap rates are compressed is it still possible and i i'm guessing you're gonna say yes to get a decent deal and, and how do you determine it let's talk a little bit about markets
1: Sure. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest and sorry if you hear background noise. I, one of the benefits of, of being a real estate investor is you get to do what you want with your time. And I'm visiting my daughter in San Diego because she's not feeling well. And there's a little bit of background noise. Sure, so that's I fine. For not that. a
0: problem. <laughs> could
1: oh, <laughs> All right, could so you hear my question? I, I did. Yeah, I, I did yeah, okay. hear it. And, Got it. Um, so the, the way that we're making the most money and the way that we always have is, again taught to me in my early years to understand the cycle and what's the greatest need what's the what's the pain point and right now the biggest pain there's several but it is lack of inventory builders got wiped out they're not building like they used to and whatever they are building is more expensive than it ever has been due to labor shortages and uh, increase in material costs and uh, oh my goodness you know permit costs and regulations. So it's prices are up 30% to build. So inventory is low, but the supply that's coming on with new homes is, is far more expensive than it's ever been. It's, it's far beyond its last peak. And so the pain point is, of course, affordable housing. Anything under 250000 or 200000 is really what the majority of Americans could afford, but that inventory is just not there. It's too right. hard for a builder to bring that on. And so, you know, for us, what we have found is the greatest um, profit is 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 partnering with builders and bringing the capital. So we've done a lot of syndications. We we find excellent builders with long long track records of you know being able to get the product online. And uh, we are capital partners and investors make uh, upwards of thirty percent IRR. So that's been great and totally passive. But that's not cash flow. So on the cash flow end. Absolutely, uh, apartments. I, I know it's your your thing. I just it makes me nervous because some people get attached to an idea, but they don't tie it to reality. And yes, at certain times, multifamily is fantastic. At other times, when cap rates are low, you have to understand that if if you want to make money, you're going to have to sell it at an even lower cap. But who's going to buy it if you're yeah. buying it at four? Is someone going to take it for three yeah. or two? You know. And then what happens when interest rates go up, which they are, and you have to refi your short-term loan, and interest rates are up? Now your net, your NOI is is uh, down, and your the value of the property has gone down. So I think there's going to be a lot of people who are shocked that they're going to find themselves in trouble. So give it three years. I think it's going to be a great time to buy multifamily because we'll be picking up. The mistakes of everybody else. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. No, I think I think there's <laughs> I, mean, I think
0: there's a lot of truth to that I mean I think there's different ways and like I said I'm not uh, haven't been finding things by nor has uh, yeah. others others who are in this market you know as you know Ken Ken McElroy for example who mm-hmm. um, was a friend of mine and, and Kenny uh, was yeah. you know, this major syndicator Robert Kiyosaki advisor. You know, his primary focus, like like you actually, has been building. Uh, that's not something that, you know, Kenny um, had done a lot of. But you know, the last syndication mm-hmm. of his that I actually was an investor in you know, was a, a, a you know triple, or it was a it was an, uh class A project in Phoenix, uh, like 300 units. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, "Well, gosh, you know, this is different, Kenny. What, why are we doing that instead of?" use typical value add play and he said well right now i can i can build uh, a 300 unit complex Mm -hmm. uh, a class complex for the same amount that people are 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 selling b c class properties and so i'm building you know so so there are some definitely some parallels in market so that's whether it's multifamily or single family but yeah absolutely so what are your favorite markets right now what and why
1: Well, you know, it just depends on the strategy and kind of along with Kenny and I, I love him too. He's just such a great guy. Um, we, you know, we bought in the most expensive market in the entire country. We bought a a $150 million apartment building across from Google in Mountain View that has a a one cap if you're on a good day. I don't know, but, um, so that makes no sense. Right. Right. But, um, but it was 200 units with a lot of parkland. And sadly, we will be turning that parkland into more units. So it wasn't for the one cap that we bought that. It was for the, um, the, the, the uh, we're going to turn it into 800 units. So right. increasing the density there, uh, now now the numbers work. Sure. But yeah, it's it's you got to get more creative these days. Yeah. But right. so as far as marketing, if, if you're looking for double-digit returns, you're going to have to go into what I, I guess what I like to say are the markets with a bad reputation. There are places that used to have issues, but the, the cities have, are, are reinvesting in themselves and reinventing themselves and pouring billions of dollars into revitalization. But a lot of people don't know that. So if, if you well, took like an Detroit? airplane to somewhere, <laughs> Detroit, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, Detroit has huge, huge possibility. It's, yeah. One of the last remaining places where you can get really high cash flow, but you're taking a slight risk you have to be in the right market uh, but I, you know, I don't even see it as a risk I see the massive growth happening there and re- redevelopment and we're excited about Detroit absolutely.
0: Yeah. you know it's interesting about Detroit just as an anecdote a few so I'm a big uh, NFL football fan uh and Uh and a few years ago um i think it was like you know three or four years ago i was you know i was just kind of looking through the internet sometimes i just look at what's on sale and of all things i see Mm -hmm. the pontiac uh super you know the dome that they used to play in right
2: Uh and and yeah
0: (laughs) the opening bid the opening bid was like two million (laughs) dollars for the entire stadium And I'm like, wow, man, if this was, uh, if I was a Lions fan, I might've bought this thing, but I'm not a Lions fan. Anyway, uh, but (laughs) (laughs) that was crazy, but but just goes to show like, you know, what happened there and you're right. It's like one of those things where, you know, like in any situation, um, people generally try to avoid these markets. Uh, but you know, I mean, if you want to buy at a discount, there's Detroit. How about less obvious ones in Detroit?
1: Um, well, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, is uh-huh. a city that's on the rebound. Um, Huntsville, Huntsville is an, an area where Ooh, there are hot. some of the the uh, high, most highly educated engineers. They they build rocket ships or something. I don't yeah. know, but um, really wonderful place because we know that our current. Administration wants to spend a lot of money on government and military, and so Huntsville will benefit from that. And yet home prices are low and and the tenants are highly educated. So we like that city. Um, oh, gosh. There's so many. Chicago. Chicago's got its issues, but the cash flow's good. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's on Amazon's list of potential HQ2, so you is never right? know. <laughs> well,
0: you know, I'm from Chicago, you know, I, I moved, uh, moved to California from Chicago. So I'm, I'm just laughing because generally, you know, yeah, there's a lot of place to cash flow if you want, you know, generally the, the, the rule of thumb though, is if there's too much cash flow, you have to, you know, you have to kind of go in there with an armored car and, and, and stuff like that. You but, do, you do. But, you have to uh, be
1: careful where you go yeah. and. Uh, be aware of the issues, but I think if you can get into the affordable housing sector, I, and this I'm talking, not multifamily, because I feel like if you show that you're a large business in Chicago, you will get penalized. Yeah. So if you have little little homes in Chicago under two hundred thousand, um, it it sort of stays under the radar there, and the cash flow is pretty impressive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So here, let me ask you this. What's the trick with single family? Because here is one of the reasons I've always stayed away from single family myself is that I have a little bit of a concern about, uh, you know, when you have one or two uh, single family houses and you get some decent cash flow, even if it's a, say it's double digit cash flow. And the next thing you know, you have one event, it's a roof, a cap, you know, one CapEx event, a roof, or a furnace or something like that, the cash flow on these things, if it's a hundred bucks or 200 bucks a month, it can like wipe out the cash flow for a year or two. So what's the trick? Is well, it just we, volume? Yeah. Is it, is that our, the major tr- our, trick? Our
1: trick is, well, our trick is that you, you, uh, you put that in your pro forma. So you should really understand your property.
2: Yeah. And
1: if you're buying a, a property that needs a new roof, that needs to be part of your calculation. Now we have very high standards for the way that we want investors to buy homes and the, the the condition that they're in. So we have a a group of sellers that we say you better hit these um, you know these standards or you know don't don't present them to our members. And that means that that they have new roofs or they have a long life left on the roofs and that all the plumbing has been updated and the electrical and, and that, you know, those things have been handled so you can have a better idea of what your expenses would be going ongoing. Whereas if you just bought a property, it's kind of like buying an old car and you don't know the conditions and it could be very expensive. But if you bought a certified used car, you kind of know a little bit more what you're getting. And and that gives you comfort. So I, I would like to say they're like certified rentals. <laughs> yeah, no, I <laughs>
0: yeah, I get yeah. it. I get it. I think there are certain things. I I guess my my point being, and again, I'm not I'm not making any point. I'm just uh, just talking to you out loud about. I think a lot of uh, investors who have concerns about single families bring this up, which is okay. So you know you buy something, and then seven years later, maybe it wasn't in your pro forma, but then you have a capex event and just can wipe things out. And, um, and so I think that my guess is that part of it is simply just having, you know, multiple properties. I mean, that's, that's the key like anything else, right?
1: Well, in setting aside those reserves, so, you you know, you set aside the reserves for what could come up and you keep, you you understand your property, You, you, you keep in touch with it. So you know what you will be you know, spending money on it would be the same as if you own your primary residence. You want to be able to budget for when those things are needed. And um, but, you know, it, it can happen with multifamily, too. Sure. I mean, we I have not had a good experience with multifamily. That's just me. But it can go either way Yeah. where, you know, we had an apartment and uh, there was an oil leak, a uh, gas leak in the middle of the night. And the city made every single resident move out. And we we had full occupancy. And the next day we didn't. Wow, and so it can happen. Yeah, and insur- did insurance know, cover that? Anything, different. What was that? Did um, insurance cover that? The insurance covered it, but um, but then once the city came in uh, and they saw that it was a potential um, health hazard, uh, then they wanted to just kind of tear apart the building and they made us redo everything, and we were yeah. in it for two million more than we ever expected, yeah. and it was a nightmare. Yeah. So yeah. you know it can happen on any property. You're it's right. going to be a bigger issue on a bigger property. Yeah
0: yeah so i I'd love to talk to you, but I noticed that you've sort of tapped into this space that I've been very intrigued by. It's the Airbnb space so w- when did you get in that? <laughs> how did you get in that? Tell us a little bit about that because I think there's probably a lot of people interested in in hearing about that uh, that industry
1: yeah yeah well, I think um it's a disrupt disruptive industry and uh and it any with any disruptive industry, there's going to be pushback. And so there's a lot of pushback. You've got to really enter into that space with your eyes wide open because cities don't like it. And, you know, they're they're putting on these restrictions and there's going to be some battles around it. So I would be cautious and have a backup plan. I wouldn't buy a bunch of property with the expectation that you'll be able to turn it into a hotel. Yeah. You know, Ohio, California is an example that people were like, wow, this is a tourist town. We're going to buy property. We're going to. Um, do the Airbnb thing and then Ohio uh, made it illegal. So a bunch of people stuck with property, they can't rent. And so you just, you need to be cautious. Um, But with that said, I think most, most places allow, allow it if you live there. So one wonderful way to kind of get into property, maybe you want to, you want to live in, and maybe for a time being you have to Airbnb some of it. That's a wonderful, wonderful way for people to get into into like a, real estate, it's how, like how rich or I did it without really knowing
0: yeah, like sort of like a duplex situation or something like that you mean where
1: yeah, anything yeah if you yeah. yeah if you you could get an f h a loan and buy a fourplex on an f h a FHA loan, which is three percent down airbnb the three other units, and you live in one, and I don't think anyone can tell you you can't do that um in in our case before Airbnb, we just used Craigslist, we bought a four thousand square foot house when we first got married, it was way over our head. Um, but it had an in-law unit and it had a another sort of studio, and we rented both out just to people on Craigslist, and it pretty much paid yeah. covered our expenses. So we lived in the nice part of the of the house, separate mm-hmm. uh, for almost nothing.
0: That's a that's a great point. I guess I didn't realize that you couldn't have laws necessarily preventing you from being there or from renting out the other units if you lived in one of them. Is that? Is, is that right?
1: That's so far the case. Yeah, okay. so far yeah. most cities don't restrict that.
0: Got it. So um, I want to you, talk a little bit about your business in a little bit more depth. Tell us about what you do. It's uh, the Real Wealth Network, correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, like I said, it started out with my obsessive need to learn, mm-hmm. and it's continued because this industry never becomes boring. <laughs> it's yeah. always something new to learn. Yeah, Strategies change every year you, you got to stay up on it. So, um, still I'm passionate, you know, 13, 14 years later, I just constantly researching the markets and the best strategies in the markets and hooking up with the best people who can bring us the best deals. And, you know, we share that with our investors. So, um, and, so we and have, we learn more meetings about it? where you yeah. can Is come it... and learn. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then the webinars every week. And, uh-huh. and, uh, I do the, the podcast and the news show and I speak a lot. so Tons of education and um, and that has attracted some deals that, like I said, I never would have had the chance to t- talk to Kiyosaki if I didn't have a radio show. And now that we have a huge investor group of 36,000 people, um, deals come to me that are insane. Like a, a deal came to us where we got the property for a third or a fourth of what it's worth, but we had to close in two days and I was able to raise an enormous amount of money in two days yeah. to get that deal. That's and, great. and you know, we wouldn't, yeah, wouldn't have had that opportunity otherwise.
0: So how do we, so where do we go? What's the website?
1: Yeah, it's real wealth com, And, uh, you can just join for free there. We're all about free, free or very affordable access to education. Right. And, uh, and then, you know, some deals, the SEC requires it be for accredited investors, which is upsetting. I'd like everyone to be able to participate, but that's just, you know, the way it is. But anyway, realwealthnetwork.com, and uh, you can it's free, and the information is there. And then, of course, the Real Wealth Show.
0: So uh, I, I want to just end by there's some good news, obviously. Your husband's fine. Well, how did that end up? What what happened? It was like a big false alarm <laughs> or what?
1: You know, he he did a bunch of tests, and he just— it, it, it was either a misdiagnosis or uh, the changing of his lifestyle, um, you know, just juicing and all that. Who, who knows? Yeah. Uh, what? All we know is that he did the, the CAT scan and there was no more cancer. And, and so it, it worked. They cut a lot of the melanoma out.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the doctor great... was
1: wrong and he's mm-hmm. healthy.
0: <laughs> well, that's great. And and you came out with a an entirely new career and something that's been really successful for you and you're helping a lot of people. So that's great. Thank
1: you, and he, you know, and he's a businessman, a business coach, and I kind of got it started. And then I looked at him and said, "Now what do I do?" And he's like, "I'll put the website together, and I'll, you know." So he put all the business systems in place, and I just kind of am the rainmaker.
0: Fantastic, Kathy. Well, it's been a fantastic story, and I want to thank you again for being on Wealth Formula Podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: We'll be right back These guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that. I love Kathy's story uh, because it again shows that this whole idea of getting pushed out of your comfort zone can really lead to great things, right? The paradox here is that conventional wisdom, and for that matter, human nature is to stay as much as possible within that safe space, right? I mean, we are creatures of Maslow's hierarchy. We want to make sure that we've got a food and, and security and all that, and we don't want to risk any of that, and I get it. The problem is that it is very hard to reach your potential if you're never really challenged, if you're never really outside of that comfort zone. This is the golden handcuffs issue, right? Uh, The golden handcuffs is a real and frankly depressing phenomena. And I can't tell you how many unhappy doctors, mostly doctors, but other professionals I know that love to bitch about their job, right? You know, you know people like that. They love to talk about it. They love how to talk about how many hours they work and how they never see their kids. They love to talk about it. But really, you know what? It's sort of a badge of honor. The strange thing is that these people often feel like... I, I feel like they, they think they're martyrs, right? And really, they're sort of sadistic. I mean, do they really hate their lives like that? Or are they just playing martyr? You know, these kind of people... Uh, you know, I've I've stopped hanging out with these kind of people, honestly, because it just depresses me. And they hang out and and they hang out in droves. You know, they hang out together because they like to hear each other complain about working too much and not seeing their family. It makes them feel good. Anyway, hopefully you're not one of those people. But if you are, you know, I have sympathy for you. But it's probably about time that you come to terms with why you're so miserable. Maybe. Maybe you aren't miserable. You know what I mean by that? Okay, so let me give you an example. So I know, uh, I know, I have a friend uh, back in Chicago who's a neurosurgeon and you may know that I used to be a neurosurgery resident. But anyway, he loves, man, he loves talking about how much he works. He loves talking about how it sucks that he's never home and that he never sees his family. And in the process though, you know what? The next thing you know, I hear that he's actually doing extra work. Locum tenens on the weekend. Now, I know this guy has a multiple seven-figure contract already. Why is he working overtime? Why? Well, here's his secret. And I know this because I've talked to this guy and I know his type. He loves operating. He wants to be in the operating all the time. He's a total adrenaline junkie. Loves to get in there and crack skulls in the middle of the night. That's why I couldn't do it. That's why I left because I don't have the adrenaline thing. Anyway, that's the truth. And he is a very good guy. And I don't, this is not a nice, this may sound like a not nice thing to say, but I truly believe he likes operating more than being with his family. And that in fact, is not something that I'm even saying is a moral judgment. I'm just saying, let's get real here. Don't pretend you're miserable if you're not miserable. Stop saying you are. Uh, because on the other hand, if if you really are miserable, you need to do something about it. You know, if you're not miserable, stop saying you're miserable because you're just going to annoy people around you like me. If you are miserable, do something about it and and stop and stop complaining. You know, I don't know about you again, but I know people who I've known for nine, 10 years who complain about the same things over and over again, but they won't do anything about it because of the golden handcuffs. Anyway, that's it. That's my rant for this week. And that's it for me on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.